Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Once upon a time, there was a fisherman and his wife who lived together in a filthy shack near the sea. So begins the Brothers Grimm tale narrating the rise and fall of a seaside couple. The fisherman catches a fish only to release it back into the waters. He returns to find his wife frustrated and irritated at him, for she can't believe that he simply let it go without asking for anything in return. Then starts a litany of demands from his wife. She first asks for a cottage, for she is tired of living in a filthy shack. That's fair enough. The fisherman tracks down the fish and asks, and the fish replies, go home. She already has it. But unsatisfied with her fully furnished cottage, she then demands a palace, to which the fish says, go home. She is already standing before the door. Looking out her palace window, she soon desires to be king over all the land. So the fisherman returns, and the fish says, Go home. She is already king. The fisherman then says, Wife, it is so very nice that you are king. Now we don't have to wish for anything at all. No husband, she says, becoming restless. Time is on my hands. I cannot stand it any longer. I am king, but now I must become emperor. So the fisherman returns. The water is now all black and dense and boiling up from within. The fisherman asks and is told, go home. She is already emperor. So he returns, now confident that his wife is fully satisfied, only to discover that she is not, and she now demands to be the Pope. For the Pope had more prestige back then than it does today. (laughs) The fisherman returns, his knees and legs are shaking, the wind is blowing over all the land, and dark clouds are hanging over his head. He asks, and then the fish says, go home, she is already the Pope. So the fisherman returns home to find his wife surrounded by a large cathedral and palaces. All the emperors and kings from the surrounding land were kneeling before her and kissing her slipper. The fisherman says, wife, and I, I can assure you after seven years of marriage, I have not had this conversation with my wife. But the fisherman says, wife, be satisfied. You are now the pope. There is nothing else that you can become. But the very next morning, as the sun rose above the horizon, the wife said to the fisherman, I cannot stand it when I see the sun and the moon rising, and I cannot cause them to do so. I will not have a single hour of peace until I myself can cause them to rise. I want to become like God. So the fisherman was shocked and stumbled out of bed when she said this. But being a good 
husband as he was, he dutifully returned to the sea. A storm was raging all about him, and he could hardly stand on his feet. Houses and trees were blowing over. The mountains were shaking, and boulders were rolling off from the cliffs into the sea. The sky was pitch black. What does she want, says the fish? She wants to become like God. Go home, the fish says. She is sitting in her filthy shack again, and they are sitting there even today. We see in this story that greed is a sickness of the heart. It has less to do with our circumstances and more to do with who or what we trust in, what motivates us, what brings us peace and true contentment. Where do we turn for hope? Today, as we look at our passage from 1 Kings, we turn our attention to another couple motivated by greed, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. As we walk through this text, I want to look specifically at Ahab's greed, Naboth's faithfulness, and Elijah's last word. So first, looking at Ahab's greed, I want to look specifically at how it blinds him to the word of God. Our passage today pits the king of Israel, Ahab, against the common man, Naboth. Give me your vineyard, he says, that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Ahab makes to us, reading it, at the surface, a reasonable offer. It's near his house. He offers to give him a better one in return, or if he prefers it, a fair price for it in cash. But Naboth responds, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. For under God's covenant with Israel, the land was not the personal property of individuals, but it belonged to God. We read in Leviticus chapter 25, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. God's law made provisions for the land to belong in families, to prevent wealth accumulating among a powerful few. The land was not Naboth's to sell or trade as he pleased. So when we see Ahab's proposal is rejected, he went into his house vexed and sullen, and he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. As a father of two toddlers, I have seen this act before. Maybe you have too. Maybe you even remember doing this yourself. Ahab did not get what he wanted, so he threw a fit. He runs into his room and he refuses to eat. We see a petulant and passive king who's acting out in frustration. This is contrasted with Naboth who is simply upholding God's law. The very thing that Ahab was placed and designed to do. But Ahab is so blind to God's word that he sees it as a personal affront. How often do we ourselves misconstrue the actions of those around us when we don't get what we want? But Ahab is so intermingled and enmeshed with the pagan ways and his false worship that he neglects the law of the Lord. 
And in Israel, we see, we've been looking at this uh, in this sermon series, how the social and religious fabric of Israel is tearing apart as people devote themselves to false idols. We see similar cultural and moral breakdown around us today. Idolatry and greed don't simply poison the individual soul, but it gets into the well and it poisons our communities. True worship leads to obedience to God's word and human flourishing. False worship inevitably leads to the mistreatment of others. We see this playing out in our text today. As our narrative moves along, we see Ahab is then incited by his wife Jezebel. And he was no longer content to accept defeat and respect Naboth's legal right to keep his land. We hear Jezebel asking him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. In other words, she's prodding him. Are you not the king? Are you not a man? Do you not have the power to do and get what you want? For Ahab and Jezebel, Naboth was not a man made in the image of God, but an obstacle in the way of getting what they wanted. We then see Jezebel setting in motion the process of framing Naboth on trumped-up charges of blasphemy. And ironically, here she does everything according to the law, everything by the book. She arranges for all the right officials to be there. She orders two worthless men to bring charges against Naboth, the faithful one. For the law requires two witnesses for a capital offense. And we see everything going according to her plan. Naboth is found guilty and is then taken outside of the city and stoned to death. And in Old Testament, in, in, in Israelite culture, this was a public event. All the men in the city, this was a humiliating public execution. We see then Jezebel, like a mob boss, going to Ahab and beckoning him to take possession of the vineyard. We see this scene of the treacherous king, while Naboth's blood is still yet wet on the ground, running to Naboth's vineyard, claiming for himself what belongs to God. Now, I don't think any of us here tonight are framing our neighbors for capital offenses to get an extra land, maybe to start that garden that you've been, uh, you've been dreaming about. But every day in our unique ways, we're tempted by our own greed for comfort, convenience, money, promotions, better grades, prestige, or with just building up a reputation and we are tempted to look past and ignore God's word, to go with the flow, to take the path of least resistance. And Ahab is a warning to us tonight that when we ignore God's word, it wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives of those around us. The second aspect of Ahab's greed that I want to look at is how it, in, how it impaired his memory of God's work. Up to this point in our series, we have seen King Ahab witness wonderful works of God through his prophet Elijah. We have seen the deliverance from drought, the defeat of the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 
And in just the previous chapter, Ahab is delivered from military defeat from the kings of Syria. But Ahab turns the other way and continues in false worship. On a larger scale, this image of the greedy king who covets his neighbor's vineyard points to the larger reality of Ahab's rejection of God's provision of his people. Ahab is seeking to plant a vegetable garden in Naboth's vineyard. The Hebrew for for vegetable garden is used in only one other place in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 11, when God is contrasting Egypt with the promised land, we read, For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. Egypt is the land of Israel's slavery, in which they labored under the sweat of their brow and the pharaohs. But the promised land was a gift from God, for which he would care for the land and for the people. The prophet Isaiah directly describes God uh, protecting Israel as God's very vineyard. And our reading from Psalm 80 this evening echoes this image. We read, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and have planted it. Ahab's greed strikes at the heart of God's will for Israel. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness following Moses, Ahab wants to return Israel to slavery. Greed and idolatry lead to the rotten fruit of the vine, and Naboth's life is the collateral damage. Greed blinds Ahab to God's word, but it also creates a spiritual amnesia in which he forgets the ways in which God has acted. And we ourselves are not immune to this same forgetfulness. How many of us here tonight have had our prayers answered, been set free from long sins, experienced healing, the mending of broken relationships, reconciliation, the deep joy of our salvation, only to wander back to false idols? The greed of Ahab points us to our own need to be bound to someone more faithful than ourselves. A Christ who calls us his own and his gracious Father, whose memory is not fixed on our failures and our weaknesses, but on his Son upon the cross. As the great hymn goes, O to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee. Following the narrative, I want to spend a moment looking at Naboth's faithfulness, which is in direct contrast to the greed of Ahab. Throughout this whole scene in in our chapter, Naboth utters just one line. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Naboth very easily could have given the king his land and spared his life. But instead, he chose to speak the truth and uphold God's law. 
he offers to us today an image of faithfulness to God. We, like Naboth, live in an age where God's word is often ridiculed and mocked as being simply out of step with the times. We are constantly tempted to water down scripture to make it more palatable to our cultural moment. But the church's task is to be a witness and a keeper of scripture, to be the people of the truth, both in word and deed. And this is not a call to arm, to to take arms and to fight the culture wars with rage, but to speak and to act out the truth of scripture into our culture's very confusion and chaos where the Lord has you planted. Like Naboth, another faithful witness in the history of the church is Franz Jägerstädter. Franz was an Austrian farmer who refused to fight for the Nazis in World War II. He could not take an oath of allegiance to Hitler, but was bound by his faith in God and obedience to his word. He was ostracized by his community and even admonished by his Catholic bishops to fall in line. But Franz remained steadfast through his imprisonment and eventually was executed in Berlin in 1943 at the age of 36. In one of his last writings before his death, he writes this, Neither prison nor chains nor sentence of death can rob a man of the faith and of his free will. God gives so much strength that it is possible to bear any suffering, a strength far stronger than all the might of the world. The power of God cannot be overcome. He clung to the truth of Scripture at the cost of his life. Naboth and Franz point us to the true fruit of God's vineyard, faithful worship and obedience to God's word. But greater yet, they ultimately point us to Jesus, the true vine, who says this to his disciples, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Moving along and in closing tonight, I want to look at Elijah's last word. This is the last encounter we have in scripture between the prophet Elijah and King Ahab. This is Ahab's reckoning. We read, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah goes down to meet him at the very scene of the crime, in Naboth's vineyard in which Ahab has claimed as his own. Have you killed and also taken possession? We see here that time is up for Ahab. The Lord is on his throne and is watching over Israel. Ahab's idolatry and greed have caught up to him. For as meticulous as Ahab and Jezebel have carried out their hit job, they neglected the reality that no secrets are hidden from God. They will be held accountable. Upon seeing Elijah, Ahab knows that he cannot hide. Have you found me, O my enemy, he says, Elijah, responding, brings to light 
Ahab's corruption and his abandonment of God's commandments. He says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. For there is nowhere that Ahab can go to escape God's judgment. Elijah's prophecy of Ahab's end is soon fulfilled in Scripture. In the very next chapter, Ahab is killed in battles, and we see dogs licking up his blood. In 2 Kings chapter 9, Ahab's son, King Joram, is killed and brought to the scene of Ahab's crime, Naboth's vineyard. All the greed, idolatry, and rebellion of Ahab and Jezebel leads to blood at the vineyard, a stark image of Israel's unfaithfulness and the rotten fruit of false worship. Greed is a sickness of the heart. It blinds us to the word of God and his work in our own lives. Like Ahab, greed distorts how we we see others, and it wreaks havoc in our lives. And like the fisherman and his wife, it destroys our ability to enjoy God's good gifts. Naboth offers us a powerful witness to faithful obedience to God's word. Faithfulness that stemmed from his trust in God's promise to Abraham and his inheritance given to his people. But Naboth's example can't save us here today from our own sin and our own greed. Like Ahab, we must give an account to God for our many sins and offenses. But the good news of Scripture is that God comes to us in Jesus Christ to bear away all our sins upon the cross. God looks upon Christ in our place and counts us as free. For he himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross so that we might die to our sin and to our greed and live for him towards righteousness. As we read in our gospel text, Jesus was the one who came to the vineyard, the scene of all of humanity's rebellion and rejection of God. And like Naboth, he was unjustly accused of blasphemy and publicly executed outside of the city. But Jesus suffered outside the gate for us in order to sanctify his people through his blood. And his blood speaks a better word than Ahab's and Naboth's. For this is the blood that takes away the sins of the world. So this evening, I invite you to abide in Christ our Savior, the true vine, who has poured out his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. For like Ahab, we were enemies of God, but we are now found and loved in Jesus, the cornerstone and perfecter of our faith. Free at last, they took your life, they could not.